Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Resurrection Day. We're, we're, we're celebrating this, this event that takes place, uh, which is the, really the turning point of history. It's the foundation of our faith, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Not that he's just uh, some good example, which he is. Not that he's, you know, a good teacher, which he is. It's the fact that today, every single day, we live, we have our faith in a God who bodily got up out of the ground and is alive and reigning today. More than just an idea, more than just a theological concept, we come together, we gather. There's no point of doing this unless Jesus got up out of the tomb, meaning the, the full spectrum of both pain and sorrow that we feel on Good Friday and the hope and joy we celebrate today all encompass this beautiful story of the gospel that is our story, the story that our story finds its meaning in. And it's hard to, to celebrate Easter this morning without thinking about those who are celebrating Easter in this world right now in bomb shelters, people who are celebrating Easter in the rubble of their cathedrals, the people who are hidden away from sight, Easter in the midst of a war zone. I'm sure many of you have seen pictures on your screens. So this, pictures like this, taking mass in the middle of a bomb shelter, celebrating in an underground place, singing worship songs during a bombing raid. These are scenes that I, I would imagine you and I have never really known. It's one thing to put your, your faith in Jesus and the resurrection when everything is safe and nice and clean and comfortable. It's another thing to put your faith in the resurrection when you're celebrating Easter in the midst of a war, in the midst of deep and abiding suffering, in the midst of knowing that I may lose not only my life, but the life of those I love right in front of me. When the reality of death seems just absolutely unescapable. It's in those moments, it's in those places, places maybe we have never encountered, that we come to see why the resurrection means what it means today, more than just a religious belief that we gather for, but the very foundation of how we understand our reality. And it's this the heart of our text today that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a passage that talks about this future that awaits us, that, that sustains us. It's a future that is powerful enough, strong enough to sustain our present. Let's look again here, starting in verse 19. Paul writes this. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's writing to this young Christian community who would have known the cost of their allegiance to Jesus in a very profound way. In the early Christian world, they would have been ostracized at best, and at worst, they would have been persecuted and killed. Many were. They were thrown to the lions. They were lit on fire by Emperor Nero. They faced a reality where believing in the resurrection of Jesus could cost them everything. Very, very present suffering. And because of this, the resurrection was not just a nice inspiring idea to these believers. It was the only hope that they had. It was the foundation of their reality because I could die. I could lose my life for Jesus. And if I don't have something beyond this life, 
this is just a pipe dream, then pity us. Pity us if we don't have something beyond just what we're experiencing now. It's not just for this life. And you may be thinking, as Paul writes, that he's talking about heaven. But in this context of the passage, what we see is he's not talking about a disembodied afterlife. He's, he's actually saying, not saying that don't worry, you're going to go to heaven when you die. What he's saying is that there is something even greater, the first fruits of something more. He says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word first fruits, I don't know if you know what that means. It's an agricultural term. We see it a lot in the Old Testament, meaning the very first of the harvest that you would offer to God in worship as not only an act of worship, but an act of trust saying, this is the first of what I have grown. And because I trust that you will provide, because I trust that I have a future that awaits me in you, I am willing to offer this up to you. Christ the first fruits. That word in the Hebrew literally means promise to come. Jesus is the first fruits of the promise to come that we have. He's also called in Colossians 1.15, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Meaning that resurrection is not just the first sign of a new world. It's a new world that is being born right in the middle of the old one. Maybe you've heard the gospel that's gone something a little bit like this. We're all sinners, and Jesus came to die on the cross and save us from our sins so we could go to heaven when we die because eventually everything's just going to burn up anyway, right? It's all going to hell in a handbasket, but Jesus saves you so you can fly away in the sweet by and by. But I'm here to remind you today what we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel is so, so much bigger. Jesus is the firstborn, the first fruits of this new world that's being born in the middle of our world right now. N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, he says that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. There's so much bigger at work. So much bigger things at work than in the resurrection than, than many of us have realized. This is, by definition, death in reverse. The beginning of death reversing once and for all. The beginning of the end for death itself. And this is exactly what Paul is pointing to as he continues. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Paul is summing up the, the biblical story here in just these few words. He's saying that in the scenes of death that we see on the TV screens, this is what Adam's sin has brought into the world. This is why we feel the ache of, of cancer and sickness and darkness in our world. It's why we feel the ache of watching millions die of COVID-19 over the past few years and seeing many, many others suffer. We've watched systems and structures continue to be upheld and encourage injustice all around us. And we cry over broken relationships, broken promises, broken hopes, all because of what Adam has wrought into the world by sin. Sin, as we talked about last week, is not just the choices we make. It is the power that you and I are under. And yet Jesus, 
it says in the gospel, steps into our humanity and shares in this suffering. Isaiah 53 spoke of Jesus saying he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, I used to think about this verse as if Jesus were sort of kind of just a melancholy sort of morose, emo kind of guy just walking around. He's a man of sorrows. Just, just not, not a great hang, if you will. Why would this Jesus, that we look at the Gospels, and he's clearly filled with joy, just overflowing with joy. Why would this Jesus be called a man of, of sorrows? And I've come to learn it's because it's Jesus who walked with the suffering of others. He's familiar with sorrows because he walked in your sorrow. He's acquainted with grief because he's been right in the middle of your grief. The grief of all. Jesus is the man of sorrows because he stepped into every place of sorrow that we have felt. But look again at Paul's words. He says, in Christ, all will be made alive. On the cross, Jesus His death was the death of death itself. It was the death of our powerlessness over sin and and death itself. And just as we we share in his death, the scriptures say, we also share in his resurrection. And this is not just a nice spiritual metaphor for our, our, our life. We're going to have resurrected bodies like Jesus, my friends. That's the future that awaits us. The Bible's ending story tells us that It's not us being snatched away, being vacuumed up out and raptured. It's that heaven comes to earth and all is made new again. This is what we see in death in reverse in Revelation 21. Listen to these words. This is the end of our story. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is the future that awaits us in Jesus. This is the future that sustains us in the present. And notice it doesn't say there won't be any tears. It says he'll wipe away every tear. It says that God is in his nearness so close to you that the tears that you cry will be wiped away, not by one of his angels, not by one of the people down the line, God himself stepping into your pain, just as Jesus did, wiping those tears away. Death, gone. Racism, gone. Cancer, gone. Lies and misinformation, gone. Wars will cease. Hospitals will be closed. And we will all be with God. But listen finally here. This is verse 5 and 21. It says, He who was seated on the throne said, 
I am making everything new. Those five words should be the foundation of our faith. I am making everything new. Jesus, the one who suffered for us and with us, the God who raised up to life in his resurrection, he is making everything new. I want you to say that today. Say everything, 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 not just some things. I am making everything new. There will be a day when the risen Jesus returns from heaven with heaven, with heaven in tow. Sometimes when we hear these ending stories in Revelation, we get the idea that when Jesus comes back, like we get this sort of warrior Jesus picture. Like this picture right here, sort of, sort of I'm ready to roll up on you and pop the trunk and make it happen. We get the ending idea. The ending story is that, sure, the Jesus during the Gospels is nice and meek and mild and dies on the cross, but, but we're waiting for revelation when he's going to come and pull out the big guns on all the bad people. Yeah, that's, I've seen that billboard before in Tennessee, absolutely. If you're not careful, you can, you can interpret what Paul is saying here as that. And we don't want to interpret it that way. He says here, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy being destroyed, to be destroyed is death. Now, when you hear that, you could picture a really violent, angry Jesus. Listen to those words. Destroy all dominion and authority and power. Put his enemies under his feet. That sounds more like the tyrants and the dictators that we're longing for Jesus to save us from, right? But to paint Jesus in this light is to actually demean the message of the cross itself. Jesus did not come to kill his enemies. He came to die for them. The cross itself is the victory over his enemies. The dominion, the authority, the power that he's speaking of, that he is trampling over, it is Satan, sin, and death. It says this, Ephesians 6, 2, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers and in this dark world, and, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's true now, and it will be true in the end. Jesus is not returning to ignore the work of the cross. Jesus is coming to fulfill the work of the cross once and for all. Some might get this picture or point to this in, in, in Revelation 19, where Jesus is riding on a white horse, ready to come. Here's what these verses say. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. A robe dipped in blood. That is like the cover of a metal album right there. That is robe dipped in blood. Many will take that picture and say, Jesus is coming for war. But my friends, if you read ahead, if you see what happens here, his robe is dipped in blood before the battle even begins. Do you know why? Because it's his blood. The blood that was shed to 
when victory over darkness has already been shed. There is no need to come and bring blood because Jesus' blood has fulfilled everything that we need to overcome Satan, sin, and darkness. He has made a way by his death and resurrection that there is no more redemptive violence. There is no more pain that is being brought about because Jesus in himself has absorbed the violence of humanity in making everything new again. That's what he promised, not to come and destroy, but to renew all things by the power of his cross and his resurrection. And this is good news for us. It's good news for for everyone across this world today that's facing very difficult circumstances as they worship Jesus together. We have to ask ourselves, what what does the the message of Easter Sunday mean in a world like that? I mean, what does Easter mean when when you're in bomb shelters in Kiev? What does Easter mean when you're you're in the hospital waiting room at 3 a.m. not knowing what's going to happen? I mean, what's the message of Easter when you are in crowded prison cells across our nation? What's the message of Easter when you are a grieving parent? What's the message of Easter when you're struggling with addiction and you can't seem to overcome it? What's the message of Easter when on all accounts on the outside you look like everything's going great, but on the inside you are bearing the weight of how empty your soul truly feels? None of this may describe you today, I don't know. I'm willing to bet that you feel that ache of what can be. You feel that ache of what Easter means in these places. Whether you are suffering right now or experiencing any sort of trial, you know you feel that longing that that in the midst of death there could be life. In the midst of darkness there could be light. And if you do feel that ache, hold on to it. It is holy. It is the longing for the future to come into the present. I know that's the story for many of us today. And the truth is, is that we do need a future that is strong enough to sustain us in the present. That's what hope is. Hope is having something in the future that is strong enough, powerful enough to change the reality of how you live and see the world in the present. And we as followers of Jesus, because of this resurrection power, we have this future that we have read this morning. A future big enough for when things are dark. A future big enough for when death seems like it's winning. A future big enough for when we don't know where to go. Resurrection is coming. And it's coming for you. It's coming for me. We see this now in our brothers and sisters in Christ, in Ukraine. I watched a video this week of Pastor Sergei Nikul. He's pastor of Grace Reformed Church. And he's right in the middle of Kiev, I mean, in, in the war zone. And he chose to stay and to minister and to worship. They're worshiping today, celebrating Easter, right in the middle of this war zone. And someone asked him in a video, what is this war teaching you as a follower of Jesus? And I, I, I just couldn't say it any better myself, so I wanted to show you the video. Friends, you're us. Friends, you're asking me, Pastor Sergei, what lesson have you learned? during these days of war. And I would express this only by one powerful and precious 
word. Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with me here and now. And please listen carefully the following that is just flowing from my heart that is so deeply enrooted in my heart right now. If he died for us, can he leave us right now? If he suffered for us, can he leave us in our sufferings? If he prayed for us with real human tears, can't he cry now with us with real human tears? And this is so precious, so important, so supernaturally important for me and for millions of Christians here in Ukraine. Jesus is with me here and now and forever. And this is supernatural presence in my life here and now. No tank, no army is a match for the empty tomb. No sickness, no death is match for the empty tomb. We're reminded in a story like this this morning, there are those who are facing much worse than us that have a deep abiding hope in the risen, present Jesus among us. And today, that can be your hope. So if you are here today and exploring faith or experiencing seasons of doubt, despair, maybe today is that day you step back into that hope once again. You step back into that future that's powerful enough for the present. And maybe you are a follower of Jesus and after many months or years or even the past two years of struggle, you have felt that ache so much that maybe you've lost a sense of the power that is available to you, the power of the invitation into the cross and resurrection of Jesus, to die with him, to rise with him, to put your faith in him. If that's you today, do not walk out of this room without lifting hands in prayer and saying, Lord, I believe, I trust the power of the empty tomb over every single thing that I face today. I trust it. So, Father, as we move into a time of communion, remembering 2,000 years ago, you shared this last meal with your disciples, saying, this is my body, 
broken for you. This is my blood shed for your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, this is, next time we share a meal, we'll be in paradise in God's future when he returns and brings heaven to earth. So, Lord, as we take these elements today, we remember our present reality that the risen Jesus is with us supernaturally here today, empowering us for everything that we face. But, God, we also take this meal today remembering that you will return. You will make everything new again. You will make all the sad things come untrue. And life everlasting will be ours. We remember that today. We anchor our lives in that today. We pray this in the name of Jesus.